People say the Premier League is impossible to predict, but this podcast is here to help. We're working with InfoGold to take a look at the numbers for each and every one of the Premier League fixtures this season. If you're looking to find value in the markets, data can be the key. Welcome to Premier League Insights. We're on to our final two games for game week 37. Yesterday was all about relegation and now it's on to the top four as third place Chelsea take on Liverpool and fifth place Manchester United host West Ham. Not long to go until the games kick off, but still plenty of time to find value and get those bets down. Jake Osgathorpe is here with me to help analyse the games and share insight from InfoGoal. Hello, Jake. Hello. Yes, um, really interesting night. Obviously, we had a really good one last night as well. Relegation battle, t- twists and turns. And, and this time around, obviously, two of the big teams that are looking to get into the top four. Anything could happen, really. And we've got two big games at the weekend as well for that could have massive ramifications. So, yeah, let's get stuck into these two. There's some, hopefully, see plenty of goals in these two. Well, and hopefully we'll have a as good a night tonight as we did for the info goal model last night it's all nice when it when it goes to plan isn't it <laughs> it's very nice yeah the the overs in the in the Watford Man City game was cruising in after about 60 minutes and then opposing Arsenal was was the main bet in that one and, and we like the 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 unders as well so yeah hopefully we can do something similar tonight um to a little bit trickier obviously given the fact that you know we've got two teams in West Ham and Liverpool that potentially could just cruise through through the 90 minutes, but um, you know, hopefully they keep it competitive. Right, well, let's get on to it then. We've got Manchester United versus West Ham as our first game. And depending what happens in the later game, Manchester United could actually end up in third going into their final day fixture with Leicester. If they win or draw this match, they'll just have to avoid defeat at Leicester. But then if they lose, they then have to win on the final day or, or better Chelsea's results. We were kind of talking off air. I, I think that's right. I'm not even sure anymore, but we'll have to wait and see how things pan out for the last game. Um, but United were in great form up until the weekend. They hadn't lost in, in 19 games across all competitions, seemingly knocking goals in for fun. They then crumbled 3-1 against Chelsea in the Cup. And now all of a sudden, it's the mood has changed a little bit. It was very positive. Now a lot of the talk is about De Gea's critics. They're, they're obviously front and centre with those mistakes. As for West Ham, they enjoyed a, a fairly decent spell themselves. Not quite the 19-game unbeaten run, but for a for a relegation contender, three wins in their last five games is is pretty decent going, and they're they're all but guaranteed safety. Um, I think it has to go horribly wrong for them for for them to end up going down now. But you never know until it's it's mathematically done. Um, they've they've looked good in terms of the number of the goals that they've scored and. Up until the Watford game, they were actually creating plenty, ch- plenty of chances as well. Um, that three-one win, I mean, you could say it was a little bit fortunate looking at the XG, but obviously we have to take into account the fact that they were three 0 up at half time. They they invited pressure on for the second forty-five minutes, um, but their three goals did come from zero point nine seven XG, and and they gave up eventually one point seven nine XG to Watford. So. Not something Moyes is going to be happy with if they're looking to to maybe contain against like a Manchester United side. Um, a lot of the a lot of the the betters on this one and the market is is siding with Manchester United. Obviously, they're a they're a fairly hefty seventy eight percent chance of getting the win with their odds of one point two four two. 
West Ham are down towards 7% at odds of 12.76. And the draw is available at 6.59, which is 15%. There is a pretty high goals total as well at 3 and 3.5. I personally would have expected that maybe to be a little bit lower and, and no bias here. I'm, I'm actually surprised to see Manchester United so short. It's it's not about my opinion though. It's, it's about the numbers, Jake. Obviously not my opinion, the numbers. Um, do the numbers suggest that there's any value on offer here? Um, yes, we, we we found a fair bit of value in in one of the markets, but yeah, I just want to, what you just said there that West Ham a little little bit undervalued really, and, and Man United a little bit too short. The model agrees. I mean, although United have, have been on a bit of a tear in, in the league recently, the model still thinks that they should only have a, a or they have a sixty eight percent chance of beating West Ham tonight, um, as, as opposed to the markets seventy eight percent. So, um, if you're wanting to oppose Manchester United, that that's the way to do it. Um, yeah, I'm sorry with West Ham. That's definitely a value play looking at, um, at at what we've seen over the course of the last five or six games, for, especially from a West Ham perspective, been very impressive. Um, yeah, United, have, they were, well, hopefully for them, it wasn't a, a momentum stopper, that, that defeat at, at Wembley. I do did feel a little bit sorry for them, though. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't personally think it's a coincidence, given the, um, you know, both FA Cup semi-finals being played at Wembley in the backyard of Arsenal and Chelsea, and both Arsenal and Chelsea managed to get through. I don't think that's a coincidence at all. That's just the northerner in me speaking. Um, but it was a, a game that, like you said, raised plenty of question marks around David De Gea, um, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, uh, the system that he selected, the changes that he made. Um, it was it was a little bit strange given the the you know how important that game was, the fact that there was silverware on the line, that, that he made so many big changes and, and rested the likes of Pogba, Greenwood, Marshall, um, went for a back five, which is something that he hasn't done for you know, weeks and weeks, probably even months before the lockdown. Um, and it just completely backfired on him. Obviously, it doesn't help when your goalkeeper makes uh, a couple of rickets. But that's, you know, De Gea has been performing like a, an average goalkeeper all season long and last season. Um, it was only in 17-18 where he overperformed his on-target XG by around 15. Since then, he's, he's basically performed exactly as we would have expected him to based on the chances that he's faced. So there could well be something in the in the fact that you know, the, the report suggesting that Dean Henderson should come in and, and, and replace him next season. The underlying numbers suggest that that would be a very wise decision. Henderson's overperformed his XG uh, on target XG by around 10, 10 goals this season. So you've got one, one, one goalkeeper overperforming, one goalkeeper that's performing like an average Premier League goalkeeper. Um, obviously, he is capable of, play, uh, of pulling off some incredible saves and, and, and he has done that throughout this um, good run of form. But he's also shown recently that um, he he has he is more than capable of, of making what would be a a, a very easy save look um, look or turn into a, a goalkeeping error. That's a question mark for sure over this United team. But you know, in the league since the restart, they've been exceptional. Um, they sit second in our XG table according to expected points, according to expected process. Um, they've racked up over two expected goals per game, allowed just 0.82 expected goals against per game. So they've been the second best defensive team uh, behind only Wolves, according to expected goals. But it is worth factoring in the fact or that the, the they have played lesser teams in that little mini run. Um, you know, the, the, better, the best team that they've played during that spell, um, according to our XG table, is Southampton. Um, and they really struggled to not only break them down, I think they created just 1.3 expected goals, but also to limit them, um, allowing 1.6 expected goals. That was their worst performance since the restart, um, if you exclude that FA Cup game. So, um, you know, th there is a lot to be positive about. I don't think that that 
FA Cup defeat is going to be a, a momentum stopper. I think if anything, it's going to just emphasise the, the fact that Solskjaer hasn't got a very deep squad. Um, I mean, he's got a big squad, but in terms of quality, the, the, the drop-off from the likes of Pogba um, and Greenwood and Martial to the likes of, uh, of Fred and Daniel James um, is, is quite considerable. So I think it, it maybe just makes a point to the Man United board that there is more money that needs to be spent in, in strengthening that squad. Because if you do lose Rashford and Pogba for um, you know six months again, then you know the, the, the team's going to be in a bit of trouble. Uh, as for West Ham, they've been excellent since the restart. Obviously, they had the two games against Wolves and Tottenham that weren't so excellent. But ever since then, uh, they just came to life against Chelsea. Um, really impressive performance, racking up over two expected goals. Did the same against Newcastle, being unfortunate not to win. Um, and, and the same against Newcastle, uh, Burnley in, in another game they were unfortunate not to get at least something from. Uh, game effects definitely dictated the the XG total in, in the Watford match. They raced into a 3-0 lead. They were very clinical, but after that, um, you know, like you said, they just sat in and weathered the storm and gained a, a win that should all but seal their Premier League safety. Um, you know, obviously we saw a win for Aston Villa last night. That means that, that there is just three points between Villa, West Ham, um, and Watford and West Ham. But you know, the goal differences are, are, are quite stark, really, in, in terms of. I think West Ham's at a minus 13 goal difference, Villa at minus 26, Watford at minus 27. So you're looking at a monumental capitulation over the next couple of games to see West Ham um, relegated. Uh, I, like I said, that they, they've been exceptional going forward since the break. They've averaged a 1.87 expected goals for per game, which I think is around the, the fourth most in the league during that little spell. And, and you know, obviously the same caveat I said for Manchester United in terms of the strength of schedule applies to, to West Ham as well, having played Newcastle, Burnley, Norwich and Watford in the last four matches. Um, but against Chelsea, they did show they were capable, especially on the counter-attack. Um, and, you know, given Manchester United's need to get something from the game, there could be chances available for West Ham. And, and I think that um, there's every chance that they can cause them some serious issues. Um you look at West Ham's players, obviously Mikel Antonio has been leading the line. He's been excellent since the restart. Um, averaged 0.84 expected goals per 90 since the restart, which is the second most in the league um, of players that have played three or more matches, or three or four full matches, so 270 minutes. Um, and he's been on the end of, oh, I think he's scored seven goals, assisted once. Um, and he's been on the end of 6.2 expected goals in total in that time uh, and a massive nine big chances, which is um, really impressive for a winger turned striker who does a lot more than just get on the end of chances. He works hard, he runs the channels, he wins his aerial battles. He's um, extremely lively and, and he's going to prove a handful for United centre half. So, you know, with that all in mind, I really like the look of both teams to score at Old Trafford. United have shown that they're far from solid defensively um, against teams that. Are you know don't really have any impetus in attack. You know you think of Brighton in that game where Graham Potter rung around. I think it was about seven or eight changes to the starting eleven. Uh, didn't offer any threat. Aston Villa the same. Didn't really offer any threat. Didn't do any attacking. Crystal Palace obviously had a goal disallowed, but other than that, really struggled to get uh, many good chances on target. I, I think West Ham have got more than enough to cause United problems. So I like the look of. Both teams to score. Um, the model thinks there's around a 59% chance of that happening, so a decent odds-on price. It can get it around 1.95 uh, or between 40, 49 and 50% on the market. So that's a decent value bet there. Overs as well, short price on the over 2.5. 
66% on the market. The model's pretty much in line with that. Over three and a half, you're getting a small amount of value. He said the line there was between three and three and a half. I won't be surprised to see the line uh, go up and, and sit at three and a half, given the the high scoring nature of these two teams in the recent um, recent weeks. We've got a little bit of value in the over three and a half there. 46% chance um, that it goes over uh, compared to around 44 on the market. So high scoring, um, both teams, I think, will hit the net. United have got severe vulnerabilities. West Ham away from home, allowing over two expected goals against per game this season. Uh, but like I said, if you're wanting to take Manchester United on at this price, um, I would definitely... Well, oh, I wouldn't put you off it. Um, I would just wait to see what, what sort of team West Ham put out. Um, and, and obviously the same with Manchester United, just to, just to get a full gauge of what to expect. But personally, I think Manchester United will win this one, maybe a 3-1 scoreline. Get the both teams to score the over three and a half in. And obviously, um, West Ham don't want a too heavy defeat because although they need a massive goal swing, they, they don't want to give um, you know Villa or Watford any sort of hope at all. And just with United, obviously a lot of their planning for next season will will clearly depend on on where they finish in this campaign. Um, what you you mentioned that they've got a very deep squad in terms of actual numbers, but not necessarily in, in terms of quality. They've also got the likes of, of Mata, who hasn't featured that much, question marks over De Gea and whether and whether Henderson comes in. What do you think they, they need to do to solidify top four for next year and, and maybe push on for for third and at, at some point in time challenge the likes of Manchester City and Liverpool? Who do they need to go out and buy and, and what do they need to do, do you think? Um, I think the they could do with another fullback. Um, I like Brandon Williams, but uh, I think he's got a couple more years yet to develop up to the standard of a, of a Aaron Wan-Bissaka, for example, and Luke Shaw. Um, I think they need a. I, I think Dallow is the backup right back at the minute, um, and fortunately, he hasn't been needed because Wan-Bissaka has been so durable. But uh, I would just get one in just to be sure. Centre half, I think that. You know, there's a lot of talk at the centre half spot that, that they need improvement, but from what I've seen from Maguire and Lindelof, it, it that, that's okay for me. Um, it's not quite up to the standard of of, of you know Liverpool's defence, but um, it's going to be hard to bring in another player without moving someone on. You think you've got Eric Bailly there, you've still got Phil Jones, Chris Smalling, so you've got numbers there. Um, that if you do want to bring a better player, and you're going to have to get rid of uh, of a couple of centre halves, I think. Be interesting to see what they do with Dean Henderson because, from what you know, just 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 the amount of money David De Gea is on, I can't see any team coming in to buy him and, and taking him off United's hands. Sergio Romero is a fantastic backup goalkeeper, um, and you know it, it would mean him moving on and Dean Henderson sitting on the bench. And I don't think that'll do Dean Henderson any good. So we could yet see another year of Henderson out on loan, um, probably at Sheffield United again, if, uh, given the relationship they've got with the club. Uh, they need some strength in midfield. Um, I think it's going to, you know, you're not going to replace Pogba or Fernandez, but you need someone of a of a similar mould to step in when they're out. And at the minute, they haven't got that. I think Matters just a little bit. Uh, he's not not dynamic enough for for how United are playing at the moment. Um, Matt Matic, I think, is fantastic. He's going to be playing at that pivot for a couple more years yet. Fred McTominay, um, they're all similar sort of players. You could probably move a couple of players on as well, like your Pereiras. Um, they, they definitely need another winger as well. You think you think you've got Rashford, Greenwood either side of Martial. That's good. Um, but if one of the, if Rashford or Greenwood aren't playing, there is 
um, a bit of a drop off. Whether you, you know you've got Sanchez out on loan, whether you call him back and get him back in the team or, or in the squad is is that's, there's a potential there to save you spending money. Um, obviously linked with Sancho, that'd be an that'd be an exceptional sign if they could get hold of him. Um, that would make them even more exciting going forward. I do think they probably need a, another striker as well, someone of a different mould to, to Martial, Rashford, and Greenwood. They're all very similar. That's why they interchange so well. Um, but you know, someone like Igalo in in that sort of mould that can come on, hold the ball up, and and just change the dynamic of the team a little bit would be beneficial. So I think they still need three or four players, um, but. Even so, I can't see them challenging for the title next season. I've seen the the price on them to actually win the title next season is, is short short enough. I think they're around ten to one last time I looked. Um, I think they shortened from about twenties after this run of form. But uh, that for me is, is is a little bit too short. I think they're still way off City and, and Liverpool, especially given the fact that Guardiola is going to be staying at City. All the best players are going to be staying at City now they've won the Champions League um, verdict. And they're going to strengthen as well. Liverpool are going to do exactly the same thing as they've done this season. So it's going to take a you know quite something special really for United to challenge them. But I think a couple of years they'll be in a good place to do so. Right. Well, let's get on to Liverpool versus Chelsea. Um, this one's a great matchup to round out game week thirty-seven. Some people might say that. Manchester City have the better stats over the course of the season. But for me, Liverpool were, were far and away the best team in the league. The way they controlled the games, they they don't give up many good chances. And the chances they do give away, they make sure that they're difficult for their opponents. And obviously at the, at the other end of the pitch, they've been clinical in front of goal. And really, that's what it takes to win the league. I know City have done things differently before and the way they went about it a few years ago, but but Liverpool have, have thoroughly deserved it. The, the points record is now out of reach, but they've got their tro- trophy ceremony tonight and, and they'll, they'll obviously want to put in a good performance as well. Um, Chelsea will want a good performance as well, um, but more importantly for them, they'll, they'll want a good good result. As we've talked about, the the Champions League stuff is, is so up in the air. I think you mentioned to me before, it's, it's a simple case of for Chelsea, three points should be enough to to clinch that spot for them. Whether that comes tonight against Liverpool or or in their last game of the season, we'll have to wait and see. But they would have had, not even fourth, they would have had third wrapped up if they they didn't stumble against Sheffield United and West Ham. They they looked back to their their best against against Norwich. They barely gave up a shot. They racked up 2.77 XG. I say back to their best. I'm not sure how big an achievement that kind of performance is against Norwich. Um, but they comfortably beat Manchester United in the cup at the weekend as well. So maybe they've they've recovered from that that little blip before it got too bad. Um, in terms of the odds, Pinnacle has Liverpool at two point zero eight, so that gives them a forty seven percent chance of the win. Chelsea are priced at three point five four, which is twenty seven percent, and the draw is three point seven six, so around twenty six percent on that. What are you thinking for this one? I I know the the model is weighted and it might not. Or it will pick up that that slight Liverpool drop off, but is there really a drop off at all? Is there is there too much to to read into that? Where's the value? Do you think? Yeah, it's a really difficult game to to sort of analyse because, like you said, the, obviously results wise, there's been a drop off for Liverpool, but in terms of the performances, there really hasn't. Um, you know, there's only obviously the the hammering that they took at Manchester City, um, the goals that they conceded at Brighton. Uh, sorry, the XG they conceded at Brighton, but the last two matches against Burnley and Arsenal have been excellent in terms of performance levels, in terms of XG, um, and they're the 
you know, just just read the XG numbers out. Burnley, they've created 1.96 expected goals to Burnley's 0.78. And then against Arsenal, they created 2.5 to Arsenal's 0.78. And earlier on in the season, those were games that they were winning 2-0, 2-1. But, you know, it just didn't happen for them in either game in terms of um, putting the game to bed, creating the chances. Um, Oh, sorry. And obviously, goal, goalkeeper, defenders, they're perhaps slacking a little bit, which is why that teams are scoring more goals. If you think back to the Arsenal game where there were two sloppy errors, really, from Van Dijk and Alisson, something that you, I think, I don't think we've seen all year long, maybe even all last year as well. Um, so things like that have been happening um, for Liverpool, which has sort of undermined their good performances. But yeah, it, it does make this a really tough game to analyse. Um Given what we've seen in the last couple of games, I think Liverpool will be, they'll, they'll at the very least be playing a very strong team um, and they'll be playing at full intensity. They'll be looking to avoid defeat at the very least to go a full season unbeaten, maintain their home unbeaten run. Um, I think that's stretching to a ridiculous around 50 games or something like that at Anfield in the league. Um, so that, I think they'll they'll be going for it and and. I, it could well be that this price that you've just quoted there, around two point zero eight, could be an absolutely massive price by the end of uh, at the end of this game. It could look huge uh, because we all know the capabilities that Liverpool do have, um, and they could make a mockery of that price. Really, I do think there's there's a lot of um, need factored into the price. Um, obviously, Chelsea need to get a result from this. Um, Liverpool don't, but I would just be a little bit wary of of, of, of what Liverpool are capable of, and especially what Chelsea are, are capable of away from home. Um, I mean, if you just look at the games post-break, they've played four times away from home. Um, they've won twice, lost twice, but in those four games, they've conceded um, an average of two expected goals against per game, which is um, a staggering number. You know, they played away at Sheffield United. They played away at Crystal Palace. Um, I think West Ham was one of the other ones and, and, and Aston Villa. So they've not played really any good teams, if you like, in that run. And they're still conceding a host of chances um, per away game, which is a massive worry coming into this. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's a really intriguing contest. Like you said, I think Chelsea, three points definitely secures them um, a top four finish. Uh, but looking at the table, if they don't get three points in this game, and they've got Wolves at home next, and, and Wolves are... You know, I think the sixth in the minute uh, in the table at the minute, one point clear of Tottenham, um, and I think seventh place only gets Europa League spot if Arsenal don't win the FA Cup. So it could well be that Wolves have to win it at Chelsea to secure sixth in the Europa League spot, which makes this game really all the more important against a team that don't really need to win and and could well be going through the motions given the fact that they have a trophy lift after the game. Um, but yeah. It, I've, I found it a really difficult one to to write about, um, a really difficult one to sort of assess. Looking at the prices, I think, you know, as we've said all season long, the, the, the gap between Liverpool and Chelsea from a, um, an XG perspective is not that big um, when you look at their overall process. So overall, Liverpool have averaged 2.05 expected goals four per game, Chelsea 2.06. Against Liverpool, have averaged one point one one expected goals against per game. Chelsea one point two one. So that in terms of expected goal difference between the teams, it's zero point one um, is is the difference between the two teams, which um, for me shows how 
not only how fortunate Liverpool have been, I guess, with the results um, going to expected goals, but also how unfortunate Chelsea have been and how they have probably wasted um, you know, loads of chances, especially in, in attack. I mean, 76 expected goals for per game. Uh, they've, they've racked up and they've scored 64 times. So they've left 12 goals out there. Compare that to Liverpool, who, who've performed pretty much in line with their expected goal four numbers. But defence is where they've excelled. They've conceded just 29 times from... 42 expected goals, so 13 goal over performance. And you're starting to see why they're, they're champions, really, is because of the defensive solidity. And that's something that Chelsea haven't had all season long, even though their underlying numbers suggest that, that they are one of the better defensive sides in the league. So, um, obviously, that turns you straight to the goals market. Both teams to score is, is short enough at around 60% on the market. The model thinks that's good value still. 63% is what we're thinking of both teams to score happening. Over two and a half, it's drifted slightly in, in the uh, last couple, 24 hours. 57% now on, on over 2.5 goals, so around 1.7, 1.72. Um, and the market is, uh, sorry, the model's at 63% for over two and a half as well. And I do quite like the look of that, given what we've seen from both teams recently. Both been uh, involved in high scoring games, or at the very least games with, with um, plenty of chances in XG. So um, I do like the overs and the both teams to score. Um, in terms of the one x two, based on the prices that we've we've got, um, we've got Liverpool at forty five percent chance. So you said Liverpool at forty seven on the market. So there isn't any value in back in the hosts. Um, I think depending on team news, you could see that price crash on Liverpool. Um, um, and if they if they start anywhere near as good as they did against Arsenal, where they were rampant for twenty minutes and went one nil up, then I think that that you might see some even more money piled onto Liverpool. Um, interesting to see what happens with Chelsea really obviously he, he went for a back three or a back five at the weekend in the FA Cup um, it worked a treat really they limited Manchester United very well albeit it was a Manchester United team that had um, three of its best attacking weapons on the bench um, so yeah, it'd be interesting to see if he sticks with that obviously you can look at um, Arsenal had plenty of uh, or had success from a results point of view against Liverpool by sitting deep and um, Obviously, getting uh, taking advantage of chances they were presented with, but if Chelsea maintain that or, or, or try and copy that sort of style, I think that they'll get well beaten here. And just an interesting note that Liverpool, although they were playing for nothing um, and they were away at Arsenal, they went off at odds on. They're at home. They're unbeaten at home all season long. They've won 80, 17 out of 18 home matches, but they're odds against against uh, at home to a Chelsea team that have been vulnerable all, uh, all season long, especially on the road. So, um, yeah, interesting matchup for me. I, I do like the look of both teams to score and over two point five goals. Um, but in terms of the one x two, the model suggesting opposing Liverpool, but I, I would definitely swerve that given um, given what Liverpool have shown in the last couple of matches, which hasn't been bad. And a, a similar question, kind of about what I asked about Manchester United and kind of what they need to to do to to strengthen and get better. Obviously, we've seen a bit of um, transfer activity from Chelsea already. Transfer gossip is rife at the moment, just as you were talking about what might happen with Dean Henderson. I'm seeing stuff about Chelsea being linked with him. Um, that obviously ties into the fact that you talked about how poor Chelsea's defence has been. And as bad as they are at, at giving up chances, it's it's also Kepper, their goalie, has been kind of one of their, their biggest issues um, this season. So... I guess in terms of the data, can we? How bad is is Kepper? Is that something we can kind of talk about? And then, as well as that, does anyone buy him if people aren't going to pay for De Gea and those kind of wages? They're not going to pay the 
or Chelsea certainly aren't going to recoup the 60, 70, whatever it was that they paid for him. So what would be the situation there, do you think? How do you think that will play out? Um, I think, I mean, unfortunately for Chelsea fans, I think he'll be sticking around for a while, Kepper. I mean, he's forked up £72 million or something along those lines to buy him. Um, he's still young. I think he's about 25 or 26. So he's still yet to hit his peak age for a goalkeeper. Um, I think, obviously, the... The this season's been quite disappointing. I think he's underperformed. He's, he's or he's conceded around um, six or seven more goals than his on target xG. So he's he's performed worse than an average Premier League goalkeeper. Um, but I do think that there is a bit of that can be attributed to the defence as well. You know, we talk about Liverpool and their defence, how they make life for Alisson really easy by narrowing angles, getting blocks on the ball, um, all those sorts of things. And, and when you watch Chelsea defend sometimes it is a little bit kamikaze and um, I think that's the main area that they need to strengthen is uh, they need for me they need at least another centre-half um, someone like a Koulibaly who's going to come in and, and dominate that centre-half um, similar to what Maguire's done at Man United and obviously Van Dijk's done at Liverpool Laporte does it at Manchester City I don't feel like they've got that one alpha in that centre-half role that, that can really dictate the team. Um, they also need a left-back. Obviously, Marcos Alonso is great when he's playing in the back five and he plays as a wing-back because he can get forward. But uh, when he's playing in the back four, he doesn't want to defend. It's a bit of an issue. Um, obviously, Azpilicueta is, is, is a very solid right-back. He ends up playing left-back, um, which is he's been playing well there, but it is a bit of an issue um, if you get someone who likes to go down the outside on his weaker foot. Um and then you look at the the rest of the team and, and they're spoilt for choice, really. I mean, you know, we said about Manchester United in the FA Cup game at the weekend, the fact that they made, they rang the changes and the, the, the players that came in actually weak in the starting 11, it was exactly the opposite for Chelsea. Um, you know, if anything, it, it maybe strengthened them because I thought Kovacic came in and he had a fantastic game driving the ball through the midfield. Um, Jorginho surprisingly did okay as well um, in, in what was... Um, backs against a wall's job for at least 40 minutes of that match um, and obviously the switch to the back five Reese James played well down the right hand side um, you know if if Tammy Abraham's not fit um, Giroud can play who obviously scored scored the goal Mason Mount came in um, obviously I think Pulisic was sat on the bench Pedro sat on the bench um, real embarrassment of Richards I think Loftus-Cheek came off the bench as well so midfield and attacking areas they've got uh, you know, a plethora of talent really, and, and they've only added, they've already added to that with the likes of Werner and, and Zayech, um, who've already signed. And the link with Kai Havertz, which would be another, well, he's an exciting player, but um, I'm not sure if that's the area I'll be spending most of my money on, to be honest, given the, the players that they already have. Um, so, yeah, from a Chelsea standpoint, there isn't too much that needs to be done in the attacking areas. Um, it, it is mainly defence. They, they could do with spending, um, you know, 100 million on a couple of decent defenders just to shore things up a little bit. And and if they can maintain that, that or the majority of their squad, especially in the attacking areas, they'll have a really good chance of competing on all fronts next year because of um, the fact that they can rotate and, and not really weaken the team through the rotation. So um, it is all positive for Chelsea, but they need to they really need to finish in that top four, meaning that, that games against Liverpool and Wolves, two teams that are sat in, our, in the top four of our XG table um, are crucial matches and they're not going to be easy. Uh, not going to be easy at all. Well, that's it. Game week 37 now done. Obviously, we've got still got the matches to come, but we've then got one more round of fixtures and one more podcast for this season's Premier League Insights. I'll, uh, I'll be chatting to you again soon, Jake. Thanks for the time today. 
Yeah, speak to you soon, Ben. And thank you to everyone for listening. As always, get over to infogold.net, follow at Infogold app on Twitter and download the app on iOS and Android to learn more about expected goals and find out how it can help with your betting. If you're looking to bet in play on the Premier League or any other leagues across Europe, you can download the Pinnacle Live Scores app to track specific games and set odds alerts and really take your live betting to the next level. The latest odds for the Premier League are on pinnacle.com. Best of luck with any bets and remember to please gamble responsibly.